Hi everyone, welcome back to the Academia podcast. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Victoria Farrow, who is subject lead in architecture at the Montford University. Victoria is also the chair of the BIMIN series charity and is the events coordinator for the Association of Architectural Educators. It is our pleasure to have her joining us today. Hi Victoria, thanks for agreeing to come onto the podcast today. Um, I just wanted to start by giving our audience uh, a bit of an insight into into yourself, um, how you've come to be in the positions that you're in. But um, right from the beginning, just um, you know about your life and how you started out in architecture. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in Hull, um, a small kind of fishing town up north, um, where I spent 18 years of my life, and then I um, kind of embarked on the journey of architecture. It was a bit it wasn't really planned. So I did art, French and Spanish uh, for my A-levels. And I literally sat down and searched through the the UCAS book, which in those days was not online, it was paper. So I sat looking through the catalogue of every single art and design subject that there was. Um, and my dad is an architect, self-made. Oh. Uh, he's now 70, kind of still working in practice. Every day gets up at seven and goes in the office. Love. So my Love dad that. is an architect. <laughs> Secretly, he'd always hoped that I would take over the family business. So when I'd kind of exhausted every single other co- course that was not architecture, um, because I was quite stubborn, he <laughs> suggested, you know, why don't you start doing architecture? So I huffed and puffed a bit and then um, said, fine, okay, and kind of put it on my UCAS forms and submitted it off. And it went off to, I think I applied to Glasgow Kingston, Nottingham, Liverpool, Manchester and Nottingham. And I got offers from all of them and it kind of then began on the kind of going around all of the open days and Nottingham University really appealed to me. Um, Not because of the cause, because I hadn't looked in depth at it, which is terrible to say, but mostly because I really like the green campus. So it's really, (laughs) I'm a big runner. I was like, oh, I could picture myself running around this campus. So off I went to Nottingham University and um, I didn't have a brilliant time. I actually really didn't enjoy my undergraduate studies. And I finished um, in third year, kind of did graduation and decided I'll take my placement year, but I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to go back. Um, but I had a really lovely placement, a very supportive practice in Nottingham who were brilliant mentors. Um, and I, I found some confidence. And so I decided, yeah, we'll, I'll go back and do my part two. But it was an interesting time because um, it was at a time where lots of schools of architecture had lost their accreditation um, in the UK. So the courses that I was looking at, I was going along to open days and then been told, actually, we don't have RIBA accreditation. So I ended up going back to Nottingham University, which I said I wouldn't do. Um, (laughs) Thankfully, my MARC was uh, much more enjoyable. And I think it's because I'd found some confidence, I think, for... Um, young students going into architecture particularly in those times because that was early 2000s it's quite a harsh shock to reality so reviews were quite tough it was kind of critique open critique of your work I found that quite kind of hard to adjust to so undergraduate had felt very raw but postgrad had felt much more kind of enjoyable and so I stayed at Nottingham University to do my part two and my part three um, so I did all my seven years there. Um, and then I I qualified as an architect. And uh, that was at the time where there was a 2008 crash. So I had a job as an architect for one month and then I got made redundant. That's some of isn't Remember it well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the kind of route into architecture felt quite rough. Um, and... I have to say, at that point, when I got made redundant, I thought, I'm just done with architecture now. I've had enough. I worked, I took some temporary work. So I worked at Nando's, I worked for the council, I worked a bit for the NHS. Just anything really to bring some money in whilst I figured out, you know, what I wanted to do. But in the end, I kind of, I I decided to set up my own business, uh, my own practice. And I got a job three days a week doing facilities management um, in a local company in Nottingham. Um, whilst I started to build my own practice. And it was at that point where I got a uh, an invitation to go and do some reviews at Lincoln University. 
it wasn't directed at me. It was kind of an open call. Um, and I just replied and thought, I'll go along. And I had the best day. Um, the It was really nice to be on the other side of the panel. Um, so not to be the student kind of presenting the work and, and feeling that kind of sick feeling that I had as a student, but actually to be on the other side, giving constructive feedback, but being able to deliver it in a way that I would have loved to have had as a as a student. And talking to the students at the time, you know, they were so grateful and, and had really said they'd benefited from my help. And I left with such a smile on my face. I thought this is, I never felt that way before in work. So I started to, um, I quite quickly got into running a, I was offered to, the opportunity to run a third year studio at Lincoln University um, a couple of months later, which I took. And then um, because of that, it triggered me contacting Nottingham Trent University to see if they had anything going um, because I just discovered this huge passion and love for teaching. It was all motivated, I think, by my own experience as a student and that um, undergraduate time where I'd been so unhappy. I was so passionate about just wanting to make sure that my students never felt like that. Um, and kind of that was the beginning of my journey into wanting to make positive change to architectural education. So I started at Nottingham Trent as a part-time lecturer. And that was a really exciting time because Nottingham Trent was had just had the architecture course running for a year. So it was at a time of change and it was growing and it was all really exciting. You could kind of put your own um, imprint onto modules and developing first year studio, which was what I was really interested in. Um, and I became full-time as an academic in 2012, I think. Um, and during my time at Nottingham Trent, I had the opportunity to go to America to go to the National Conference of the Beginning Design Student, which was a, a, a kind of traveling conference. Um, so schools of architecture put themselves forward to run the conference, host it at their school. And um, it's a kind of showcase of projects and practice in architectural education in America. So... I'd never seen anything like that before because it was a time Instagram came in in 2011. So it was pre like social media, being able to share work from what's going on on the inside of schools of architecture. Really, you only got to see the final work at a degree show. So when I went there and I, you got to see the inner workings of like architectural education and the projects and practice that was going on all around well, sometimes it was all around the world at these conferences. I went to one in Nebraska. I was absolutely like amazed. I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic. But we didn't have anything like it in the UK. There was nothing which brought architectural educators collectively together in the same, in the same way. So when I returned back from that Nebraska trip, um, myself and three or four other colleagues got together and we formed what is now the Association of Architectural Educators, which is a group that represents architectural educators in the UK. Um, and there's now, I think we have 56, 57 member schools of architecture as part of the AAE. And um, there's an annual conference and still today, the only journal in architectural education in the UK, Charette. Um, so I ran, I offered to run the first conference in 2013. I was really green. I was in my late twenties, had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I just put my hands up and said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, but it was really great. And um, it was a real celebration. Hosted at Nottingham Trent, had uh, kind of people from all over the world coming to present on their practice and projects in architectural education. And that was the beginning of the, um, the AAE, which I'm hugely proud of. So, um, so yeah, then I left Nottingham Trent University and moved to Birmingham City University, um, mostly for the reasons of career progression. Um, I absolutely loved Nottingham Trent when I was there and it's a great team. Um, but I moved to BCU for a kind of new challenge and I took the role as 
course leader and um, head of year one at Birmingham City University, which at the time was Birmingham School of Architecture. It wasn't Birmingham School of Architecture and Design. So again, I joined a school that was growing and developing and within one month of been there, I got told I had to rewrite the course. So I joined in October <laughs> 2014. And I just remember this, there was this, the, I think it was the Dean's PA came behind my seat in the office and just said, oh, by the way, do you know the new course has got to be rewritten by next month? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so I had a really steep learning curve when I got to BCU, but yeah, I wouldn't change it. It was absolutely fantastic. I had a, a really excellent mentor the head of school at the time, Kevin Singh, who's now at MMU, um, was very empowering and uh, it was a great time to begin as a, as a course leader and also have a foot in leading year one. So I spent just under 10 years at BCU and then in the summer of this year moved to, to take the, um, the role of subject lead in architecture at LSA, Leicester School of Architecture. That brings me to <laughs> that brings me to today. What a journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has. It has been a real journey. But I think what I've kept really close and I've gripped onto is wherever I go as a job, what's most important to me is that they are really have the student experience and the care about students at the heart of it all. And also that I've stayed true to wanting to wherever I am, make improvements to architectural education. I don't want to stay static. And I, if I get to a point where I feel like I'm not able to make any more impact, which is maybe why I moved, I felt like I'd done everything I could at BCU and it was time for a, a change. But I've always tried to grip onto that and I'll, I'll continue that as I go forwards. I think that's one thing in the, the, the handful of conversations I've had with you so far, that's one thing I've grasped straight away about your character is that, and you mentioned it in the call that we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, is that you're always trying to push innovation and you're always trying to stay ahead with how we can change architectural education for the better. Um, and that definitely comes across, obviously, in your career path so far and, and how passionately you talk about it. I mean, you guys must be sort of inside. You've, you've, you must be able to resonate with Victoria's story quite a lot because academia has been born out of sort of a similar feeling of you guys really struggled in, in the BA and, and you, you, the feeling that you had of that, uh, of doing that initial degree. Um, you that, that was the, why you wanted to start Academia and, and, and why we've got the company to where it is today. Yeah, well, I'd say the negative experience of the BA, similar to you, Victoria, that shaped it because we, we were at a real crossroads with Lynn and software at the time. So not so much the theory, that's confusing enough at, at the degree level, but at the time we were expected to like learn AutoCAD, SketchUp and Revit and that way in a thing at the time. And there just wasn't enough support. Yeah. You, you'd done a few, few workshops, but then you were left to your own devices and you sort of need the support to continue throughout your career progression in, in when you're learning the software. And okay. that did sort of shape where we're at now with Academia coupled with the fact that we kept taking on staff and they were asking the same questions each time. So we just started recording our screens to like streamline the process. And and then we were like, oh, this is really useful. And then it grew from there really, didn't it, Adam? Mm -hmm. But then I, I admire the way you said, Victoria, that you had a negative experience and it drove you to, you know, change that experience for others. And that was the, that's the exact yeah. same origins for us. But another realization we had yeah. in the in the MRH was the fact that the better your skill set was, the more time you could spend on design and theory and exploring things, testing things. And we had so much more confidence in the masters, didn't we? That we were like, we can leave that to the last week now because we know we can produce it all <laughs> in a week. Whereas mm. you worried about production all the way through in 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 your in your degree. So that was another thing that we tried to focus on was. We, we tell people, whether it's staff or, or members of academia, we say to them, get your skills spot on, get that confidence in your own yeah. ability and your own timeframes. Yeah. And then you can just enjoy things so much more. You can actually enjoy, you know, the way you said about, you know, making it a nice experience. Um, I was exactly the same as you. I, I, I didn't enjoy 
even though I got better marks in the grade under the masters, I en- I enjoyed the masters so much more because I was just, as you say, just well more prepared. You knew what you're getting yourself into. There's just nothing that prepares you. Even like, even drawing, just to, to plug a, a new course that we've just put on a hand drawing course. Um, uh, you know, the first time picking up a rotating pen and all that, I was just like, <laughs> what do I do with one of these? So, it, it, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think we do share yeah. that same sort of motivation. We we used to sort of let yeah oh, so, sorry our shortfalls would shape the building design because if there was a building we wanted to design but we couldn't model it or draw it we draw we, something simpler we, we went we? down a different path didn't we but by yeah. by masters that wasn't really the case because yeah, we were yeah. we were a lot more fluent and literate in all the software and, and every student individual and and I remember particularly between the two of you guys. Um, Jack, you studied art, didn't you, in sixth form and and the GCSE level at the time. And yeah. um, when we got into university, you brought in a, a hand sketch of an Escher drawing, didn't you? The the man in the with the sphere, and it was an amazing drawing. I always remember Adam, you seen that drawing, didn't you? And and it totally sort of overwhelmed you, didn't you? you I like, worked out. Yeah. I was like, if this is the level of art I need to be at, I've got no chance. Yeah. So so it's like different students. Every individual will need like help with different skills and. You sometimes, you know, it's not just the tutors that can be overawing, it's the students next year. You see what they're producing and sometimes you feel like, wow, I can't get near that. You know, am I on the wrong course and stuff? Mm-hmm. But everyone needs to know. No, that's not the case. You know, you can you can still do it just because you're not the best hand drawer in the world. It doesn't mean you're not going to do well uh, at architecture. There are other ways to, you know, in which you can excel. Um, so I, I, and, and I remember that specifically with you guys. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and one other thing as well, Victoria, we're, we're very similar is I've done a few guest crits at Liverpool, John Moores, and you absolutely nailed it by saying you, you made a conscious effort to give critique that you wish you had when you were there. And that was exactly what I did. And I was bombarded at the end of the day. They were saying to me, oh my God, like the stuff I was giving them was very straight shoot, you know, stuff. It was, sometimes it was like, your design's nice, but your presentation's poor. If you lift your presentation to, you know, to this sort of level, you know, you'd be showing your design off that bit more. And then, and then they'd say, well, how do I do that? And I'd say, well, try this, this, and this, you know, real practical, direct advice. At the end of the day, they were like, wow, you know, that's all I needed. And then, and then, you know, I'd, I'd go maybe few months later, you'd see the same group and you'd see that they took on those comments. Um, where then I was sat with um, the course leader, John Moores, and then he was given very different advice. We didn't half compliment each other because I don't consider myself the most well-read of architects. So that's what uh, Ian was doing. He was giving them loads of precedents, loads of good examples. Then I was just tying it in with a bit more practical skill set type stuff. So it yeah, worked really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember when I was taught software at university, it was like the, I can, I can remember it to this day. It was in year two. We just got handed an Archicad CD and it was like, off you go. And I was like, oh my CD, God. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it, wasn't it? And um, at the time, I remember my dad saying, it's, you know, it's teach yourself architecture because half the time I was coming home in tears with him trying to teach me how to draw a plan section elevation. Thankfully, it's not like that anymore. And um I'm proud to say that, you know, all of the universities that I've had contact with, taught at, done, you know, reviews with, it's a really support, been a really supportive environment, really kind of nice learning environment. And having taught first year for, oh my God, a long time uh, <laughs> since, yeah, like 2009, 10, probably started teaching first year. 11, I started running first year. So way over 10 years. Um you know, you get so many different students from different backgrounds and um, they do walk in with that concern that, you know, if they can't draw, if they haven't done art and design before coming to university, is that going to be a problem? Um, but you will find now that all of the architecture courses do build in that kind of cushion when they join and there's that scaffolding around accepting that, you know, not all of the cohort will come in with art and design background or been able to draw and 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 just reassuring first years that it's that it's okay like but I also do take the practical approach I think they they welcome that so I will sit down with students and and kind of say no that drawing is a bit ugly and they'll giggle and we'll have a giggle <laughs> together and then we'll kind of work out how to um to progress that and kind of give them helpful tips of of how to improve it but it's about making them feel comfortable and confident that the confidence and being happy is absolutely crucial I think in architectural education if you're not if you're not happy, you can't learn. 
And if you don't feel confident, you just can't grow um, as a designer. And so if the environment is not right, then uh, that's going to be real hindrance. Well, that, that neatly brings me on to the, the next thing that I wanted to touch on, and, and that is currently your role at LSA. So now as subject lead in architecture, um, you know, yeah. what's that like day to day? Have you got like a long term goal um, for, for the course that you that you want to achieve? And um, in terms of like, we've obviously been away from uh, being students for a while now. So so what is the student experience like? What What is like sort of the landscape of architectural education at the moment? I know obviously... It's moving quick and, and obviously we touch on some of the ARB stuff a little bit further into the podcast, mm -hmm. but just in terms of your role now, what's it been like? Yeah, so I I took two months off um, after BCU. I think I was actually suffering a bit of burnout because academia is, um, it, it, it's, it often gets a kind of bad rap, I feel. Um, I read on social media some of the comments that you get about been in education that it's easy and you get these long holidays you really don't as an academic it's full-on it is constant um sometimes you can be working weekends evenings 24 7 easily and i think after bcu is definitely suffering a bit of burnout from just the kind of uh constant pressures um and so i took a couple of months out uh to breathe and then started at yeah the Leicester School of Architecture I'd taken a long time looking around at jobs I'd probably been looking for a few years just at what might be the right fit for me so I wanted something that was not too far away but also had the same values in terms of student experience and putting students right at the heart of it all which I'm proud to say Leicester School of Architecture really does like the students the experience for the, that students get is a as a conversation that is daily um so that was very important to me and uh the staff team as well are very welcoming it's very nice warm environment very friendly so it was a lovely environment to walk into um they're coming through a period of change so um a number of staff departures had happened last year um new course new curriculum which was really exciting to me so the um School is managed by, so the, the Leicester School of Architecture sits within the School of um, Art, Design and Humanities. So that school is managed by um, Kate Chain, um, who took over as head of school in the pandemic, so in 2020. So obviously we had all of that kind of change um, to manage within architectural education and the backlash, which we are still seeing kind of consequences of particularly with like mental health crisis and financial crisis yeah. so um come they come through all of that staff changes and this new curriculum um at ba architecture which is hugely exciting so it's kind of all inspired all about um all inspired from sustainability um and achieving that through ethics regenerative, regenerative practice and environmental justice so um it's been a really nice role to step into. Obviously, I'm now managing, um, I've gone from kind of course leader and associate professor at BCU. I'm now associate professor and managing part one, two, and three. I'm very much embedded in part one at the moment, um, mostly because that has the new curriculum and it's had um, come through that period of change. So we're focused on um, building that new curriculum um, and kind of developing the ethos of the course um there's a new course leader who is fantastic um hugely passionate about students so we are getting on very well <laughs> in kind of implementing the vision of um you know kind of i want to make uh the leicester school of architecture the the beacon for the midlands ideal that's my first goal <laughs> for um EDI um, is something I'm incredibly passionate about. I think as I get older and move through my career, I've noticed a shift from being fascinated and very interested in uh, first year education and architectural pedagogy. So the teaching of architectural education, I'm still very passionate about that. But as I move through my career and I'm and I suppose the students that I'm dealing with broadens, 
I'm becoming much more of an activist and very interested in um, equality, diversion, diversity and inclusion. So I'm head of EDI at, at LSA. And um, that has been a big motivation. And it's kind of, I think that is coming from feedback that I'm getting from students and graduates about um, issues within the profession and issues that I'm seeing myself. So that's things like um, kind of pay and uh, issues of mistreatment and EDI within the profession. So I've started to focus my efforts a bit more on the gap between having graduated as a student, so coming out of year three and then into the profession and also coming out of MARC and into the profession at that point. Those placement years for me are becoming more and more on my radar and things that I'm looking at um, because I think at the moment they're problematic. There's lots of issues, students struggling to get jobs and also feeding back to me about bullying, mistreatment, low pay, all of those things um, upset me. When you've carried a graduate and managed them through three years of the course and then they go out and ha they either can't get a job or they get a job and it's really low paid or they get badly treated, that makes me quite angry. And um, that so that's where I'm starting to kind of focus my efforts. And um, so EDI within the school of the Leicester School of Architecture is top priority um and that kind of hits i suppose with the students that we get they're they're majority from um barmaid backgrounds um low paid incomes families of uh, underprivileged so um that's really important that's where i'm at at the moment yeah. thank thank god they've got you in the corner <laughs> <laughs> Um, and obviously, um, we'll touch on some of the Architecture Plus stuff further down as well, which I guess is, is kind of related um, to that thing, because that, that's something that you're bringing forward that I think is going to be hugely successful because the industry is in a in a bit of a spot of bother at the, at the moment, I think, um, especially for when you're just stepping out. I mean, when you've got five, six years experience in practice behind you, it's easy to, well, easier to go out and find jobs and, and to voice your, your opinion about these things. But I think... Sometimes when you just step out of BA or you step out of MH, you still look at as someone who hasn't really got any idea about the industry. So sometimes your opinions fall on deaf ears. So to have someone like yourself in the positions that you hold, championing that, um, that's fantastic. And I know um, you were getting a bit of, um, oh, what's the best word to use? You were getting challenged on, on LinkedIn, let's call it challenged by somebody on LinkedIn about EDI the other day. But I think yeah. it it's easy for some people to dismiss, but when, when you're in the thick of it and seeing the issue at its beginnings, it resonates with you more. So you're the closest sort of position that you can be to it. I think sometimes practice leaders and, and, and other people in the industry, they're detached from it a little bit more because you don't see that journey and you don't particularly see how hard it is for those students coming out now. Yeah, and I suppose it's very easy to blame the person before, isn't it? You know, I sometimes it, it happens, you see first year... Sometimes it happens, first year conversations in architecture, you know, there might be a tendency to blame the schools or second year tutors might have a conversation and kind of blame first year leaders. Oh, you know, they didn't teach them this in first year. Third year leaders, you know, oh, they didn't learn this in first and second year, so now we're having to do it. But actually the responsibility is for the whole. And what I get quite tired of is um, speaking to reading comments from practitioners who are blaming education and actually not taking any responsibility for continuing that mentoring. It's really, really important. These students, they're coming into education now and it's a completely different world to when I came into education um, and totally different challenges, uh, totally different technologies. And we are reacting to that in education and we're managing them from first year and gradually growing their confidence. And they exit very highly skilled, hardworking, enthusiastic, motivated, innovative, creative people. Um, and that, I, off I don't feel it's always valued when they go into the profession. Um, and worse, when they are in an environment where they've been asked to work, you know, long hours for incredibly low pay. Um, and it is really, yeah, it is really problematic. It does really frustrate me. It really, really does. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah. I mean, you can tell. Well, we've got, we, uh, so oh, oh, I'll be very, very careful. I won't name names, but we've got a friend who worked at a practice after his BA and the environment was, was awful in that practice, similar to what you just touched on. And he ended up becoming a, a, a maths teacher and it just completely put him off the industry. And he was, he was a fantastic student, top marks. And the first practice he entered put him off the industry completely. And it, and it was because of that environment. So it's exactly the point you're touching on. The entire industry may have, you know, missed out on, on a real talent there because of that, that, that first, um, that first interaction with, with industry. And it, it's something that we've been trying to push with limited success is we think a gap, an opportunity in education is interaction with local practices. We, we would love to engage with our two local universities and, and just give insight. And we do our absolute best. I, I, I got knocked back for work experience when I was like 16 and I, I, and I was livid. And I always said, if anyone ever asks for experience, I would always give it. So we always give two weeks, maybe one week, depending on how busy we are. But we always give people experience. And to just see behind the curtain for just even a short spell, you it, it opens your eyes. I think it gives you that little bit of preparation. I think it helps bridge the gap. Um, so, so yeah, it's just something we're equally as um, passionate about. And, and as I say, it was heartbreaking to see a friend of ours say, if that's what practice is like, I don't want to do it. And, 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 you know, he was wrong, really. You know, you know, truth be told, it was just a bad impression. Whereas I think I think the general average of, of practices, you know, I, I can reel off 50 firms now that are, I know for a fact are good places to work. But you could just have that that negative impression, couldn't you? And, and it, it put you off for life, so it's a shame. So, yeah, we'd like to help you on, on that mission. We ac- we actually covered it with Sana as well, didn't we, in a previous podcast? Because she she was fresh out of the industry and she had a lot of the same gripes, effectively. And we it was good to hear her point of view from a, a student how how she was feeling in, yeah. in that type yeah, yeah. of scenario. I was just going to say, yeah, there are so many practices who are doing amazing good things and um, so giving in their time, you know, get brilliant practitioners coming in to do guest critic work you know fantastic so supportive and it's such a shame that the few are kind of letting um the profession down and it's a shame that students having to experience that and i think there needs to be just much more rigorous um control or picking up following through on kind of bad experience feedback that's why i was concerned about the kind of the new arb changes because Yes, it addresses, and by this I'm talking about the kind of removal of part one, it addresses the kind of um, broadening the the scope of people who can come into architecture so it could potentially kind of make for a more flexible um, courses and a way in. But it, what are we doing to tackle when these students are coming out? Uh, you know, there's nothing yeah. that's addressing these issues within the profession. So whilst we might be more diverse and inclusive welcoming people in the door to architecture which I think is brilliant you know what are we doing within the profession what is ARB doing within the profession to tackle those issues of mistreatment and low pay that would that is my concern at the moment mm. yeah yeah and um just touching on on the ARB, how are you finding? <laughs> so you just just touched on obviously the the plan changes um that are that are going to be coming in. We're quite late, to be honest, in in this. So we we obviously are aware of 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 some of the changes, but it it hasn't directly affected us in a way yet that we've become pretty well read on it. But it is something that we are trying to sort of catch up on a little bit more. But for you, obviously, it must be really pressing because it's going to directly affect you guys from I think it's September twenty four. So uh, how how are you guys dealing with it? Well. So there is a number of new changes that have come in. So um, schools are now schools of architecture have now been asked to pay uh, a fee to ARB, um, which is nine thousand and something pounds, I think. That will come in from September twenty twenty four. I'm in an interesting position because obviously I'm part of the AAE, so that's the body of architectural education, uh, architectural educators. So I. I'm party to those conversations and, and kind of sentiments. And then I was also able to go to the Heads of Schools conference um, in November 
and engage with other heads of schools. And there's really mixed feedback about the fees. I think the biggest concern that's come out is the impact that it will have on on smaller schools because obviously they have a smaller budget. The other change that's happening at the moment is obviously ARB are um, removing the part one accreditation as the first step of the changes. Um, I met with the ARB about three weeks ago and um, that's due to be fully uh, happening in 2027. So students enrolling from 2027 will not be part of part one accreditation. So um, the a lot of it has been left unclear. So uh, the part of the sentiments that I have, others have, is that we've been asked to figure a lot of things out ourselves. So it's not like it's come out from the ARB and it's it's super clear. Actually, these things are just evolving as part of conversations within schools of how we address the various things that are coming up as a result of this change. Um, as I said before, I mean, it's good that I think some of the positives are that with the relax, relaxing of the criteria, courses can uh, be more free to um, be creative with the the courses that are put in place it won't be that architecture is scrapped it's just it won't have the ARB accreditation um but I do worry about this kind of skills gap in that students who have not done architecture technically now can apply for will be able to apply for part two but obviously they'll have to do some sort of training before doing that if it's not been a kind of architectural background quite hard I can imagine if you imagine trying to like do a geography degree and then step into uh yeah. mr <laughs> quite challenging without done anything before that um so i think kind of transition skills course or some sort of foundation before they enter into um mr would be needed um but other than that we don't know very much more it's still an evolving conversation that's happening. So just just to be clear, the removal of the part one makes it easier to get into the MR. Is that is very, very simply? Uh, I don't know if it'll make it easier, um, but technically you don't have to have a part one uh, BA architecture to go into MR. That's yeah. what it will look like. Yeah. So the MRB will just be monitoring um, and... Um, crediting courses from postgrad onwards but that capturing is starting now so at the moment I'm going through the process of collecting data for ARB every year they do an annual capture it's things like student numbers and um, EDI and they're no longer capturing data from um, undergraduate courses from this year so it's already kind of starting yeah, it's just, it was it was a big shock, wasn't it? So obviously, when all the changes come in, because we've obviously grown up in a in a world where there is a part one, and and it's a massive, huge, fundamental part of of the learning curve, isn't yeah. it? And and you know, as you said, there. Imagine even trying to attempt your MArch without that three when years, you, and then obviously when you do your part one as well, you know, with, without some of that experience there, like I, I just can't imagine I'm, what that's going to look. I'm like. struggling yeah. to see the motivation for doing it or the advantages. So I was about to say that. So Victoria, what's the what AR official statement then for justifying yeah, that decision understand it. what's the official stance um, do you know it circles, to to break it down simply it circles around inclusivity and trying to make the profession more diverse um and inclusive which is important but i echo my concerns that we are just looking at the education and who is coming in we need to be looking at what happens after education as well yeah. Um, and there are there is no clarification on how that's been tackled yet. It's just a, yeah. a future discussion that needs to be had. So it's about inclusivity um, and um, tackling the fact that architecture is, and it is, it's, it's not like a, an opinion of mine, um, a subject which is hard if, if you're from an underprivileged background. You know, it's expensive, isn't it? So um, it's it's looking at it that from that front and trying to make architecture more inclusive. Um, but yes, there are a number of things that it, it doesn't address and they're, mm. they're not clear yet. It's not been made clear. 
are, are you guys at the AAE, are you a part of any consultation or is it more like individual voices from the heads of schools and stuff that are contributing to this? Um, so there was a consultation done. Um, I asked for a breakdown from the ARB under it, it hasn't, it can't be provided as I understand. Um, the consultation was practitioners, um, academics and students. What I was particularly interested in was reading and understanding um, both the percentage of students that had actually taken part in that consultation. And um, I also wanted to see the feedback comments that had been part of the consultation from students. Um, but I was told this wasn't available and that it was a collective and that it will be the consultation feedback um, results will be released in due course, but it won't be broken down into those, the opinions of students on the removal of part one, the opinions of academics and educators, the opinions of practitioners on the removal of part one. It's all in one. So it's not, which I, I thought was a bit of a shame because I would have been really, when it was part of the news and kind of coming out, I was talking to students about it and actually they, the feedback from them where they were concerned and they felt um, quite anxious about it. Uh, and I what I wanted the feedback for was to go back and reassure my students. Um, but apparently it's not available. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> could, could, this, could this in effect oversubscribe the MA then? Because you, you're going to get a lot of other people who wouldn't have seen it as an option, like, for example, someone who's done geography trying to get onto the course and it's, it's, it's going to obviously create a demand and is, is the underlying issue like a financial one where we'll get a lot more people on, but then there are an amazing disadvantage from the start because they're probably going to drop out in reality. You know, if you put someone who's done three years and yeah, there's one one risk that comes to my mind is schools of architecture who um, don't have, let's say they don't have an MARC or a part three, Where what do they do? Um, so the, the kind of part one accreditation is removed. Does that mean that students are likely to pick a provider that has got MARC and part three because they want to stay there? Yeah. Um, the other concern is if what if you have a very big BA course, which many schools of architecture do, and a very small MR course, um, does that mean that you end up with just two or three or four big providers of MR in the country, and then it becomes kind of a elitist, um, yeah. where there's only and they're kind of a lease environment where there's only kind of three or four schools that are able to provide that um, air mark with huge numbers. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fact that it doesn't come in until twenty-seven <laughs> must mean they've got other ideas, then, doesn't it? Well, you'd assume that you'd be able to. Well, that they're going to listen, but I mean, you don't know, do you? And, and obviously, it's not just the educational changes that have changed. Yeah, yeah, it's it. it yeah, it's one hundred percent. There's no going back. Yeah, it's, yeah. it is happening. So it's just of um, working within yeah, the environment that you're in. So at LSA, we're kind of starting to have those conversations and thinking about the potential impacts um, as we go. And I'm sure all of the other schools of architecture will be doing the same. Yeah. But no doubt we'll see the closure of some, I, I, would, I would expect. So, which is, will, will be sad news to those the students that wanted to, either, to attend them or, or have attended them, I suppose. And, and everybody that works there. But, you know, time will tell, I suppose. Um, to, to move away from <laughs> the contentious stuff then um, and, and back into some, some nicer stuff, <laughs> uh, uh, the majority of our audience, as you know, Victoria, is, is students and, um, and people who attend the unis and stuff, or those who have just stepped into practice and, and were supporting them um, in, in upskilling and getting themselves ready for, for practice life and stuff. And um, I suppose specifically the students... Um, to be able to watch this podcast with with someone you know in the positions that you hold, they they must be sort of I can imagine they'd be wanting to ask you for some tips on on navigating um, student life and stuff. So I just wanted to ask you you know in in your experience, especially because your experience with um, year ones and stuff in the past, what what advice would you give um, some of our first year students now? Yeah, I mean I think if you're a student that's looking at architecture courses and thinking about 
going on to do architecture, I would say it's a fantastic degree. You know, it's um, there's all that feedback out there that it's, you know, really hard and you have to work 24-7 and blah, blah, blah. there's all sorts, all that you need maths and physics or that you need art to do it. You don't at all. It's an absolutely beautiful degree that will set you up with skills to do a whole wealth of different jobs. You know, you don't have to do architecture. You don't have, if you're doing architecture, you don't have to be an architect. You know, there's so many other things that you can do after your first three years. So I'd say, um, you know, when you're first embarking on it, look around and think about um, what fits you. So across the country, there are lots and lots of different um, schools of architecture that are doing BA architecture. Um, and I think it's important that you find one that you feel comfortable with. So go along to an open day. Do you like the vibe? Do you like talking with the tutors? Do you feel comfortable? Does it feel like it fits you? I think that's really important because if you feel like the environment is somewhere that you feel comfortable with and you'll be happy, you're more likely to do better because you'll be happy in that learning environment, you feel relaxed. Um, so that's crucial. So don't do what I do and just pick because I was a green campus that you like to go to running <laughs> on. Pick, pick a school of architecture you know, that fits you feel really happy in and that you feel like yeah this is this feels like me um try and get that much so going along to an open day going along to like a taste today um lots of schools of architecture are doing these applicant taste days which are fantastic because you can go you can chat with the tutors you can do like a little project to get some experience for your portfolio but also just to see whether you like working with the tutors in that environment and have a tour of the accommodation um, so that's the first bit. Find somewhere that you feel clicks with you and that you feel you can be happy in. Um, and then I think working hard, um, but also building in breaks. So working 24-7 is an absolute no-no in my book. You just get exhausted. It's not healthy. Um, nobody is created, creative when you spent two nights, you know, working. You just... Yeah. It's not a good idea. But working hard and being enthusiastic to learn, um, I think, is what employers want and what tutors at university want. We just want to see that you're really enthusiastic and keen on the subject. So um, working hard and kind of good time management is is really important for kind of doing well. And then accepting that um, you can't be the best at everything. So many first year students that I have managed, you know, get quite disheartened if they don't get uh, kind of 80, 90% on the first or second assignment or ever in first year. And recognizing that that's all right, you know, it's a brand new subject. Going into architecture is like learning a new language. And um, you wouldn't expect to be plonked in France or Spain and suddenly be able to speak fluent Fran French or Spanish. And it's just like that in first year, you have to kind of learn as you go uh, and be okay with not being absolutely perfect at everything, but know that you're doing everything that you can in order to build that knowledge and skills from first year into second year and into third year. I want to dispel the myth that first year doesn't count. First year is so important for building that foundation of skills for setting you up to do well in second year. And then when you get into second year, those building on those skills again so that you can really do well in your third year, which, you know, you get your degree um, output. I mean, lots of courses now are kind of, they've got a split. So there's might be 40% weighted on your second year and 60% weighted on your third year. So that first year is really important, not in terms of marks, but in terms of learning and building that experience um, and kind of knowledge in advance of going into second and third year. And then also I'd say networking, building your network from day one. So like getting to know practices, going along to local events, um, speaking with people. Um, networks are so important in architecture. You know, bit, my whole career I've relied on building my network and, and those networks have powered me through to do some of the things that I've really wanted to do. Um, and so the earlier that you can begin to yeah, build your own network um, the better. So get chatting to those tutors who come in on the review days, you know, nuzzle up to them, give them a business card. <laughs> <laughs> you always, um, yeah, those would, those would be my top tips. 
Yeah. Well, we, we've just done a, a YouTube video on how to build a, a website, a portfolio website. And in that, I actually say, it's never too soon to make your own website. You mentioned business cards there. I've, I've yet to see it personally, but wouldn't that be so impressive if you were a guest tutor and one of the students had a little business card, maybe a little QR code on, and said, yeah, just have a little look at my website and there's some personal projects and stuff. There's, there's a member who I've been having a few video calls with and he's travelled the world doing workshops with different like practices around the world. And I, and, and I, I said to him, that's, that's an incredible part of your CV. That needs to stand out so much more. And that in itself and in, and in the, the, you know, displaying it properly is, is so impressive, isn't it? And, and, and as you say, if you then tie that into a strong network, you'll absolutely breathe into a job, wouldn't you? I didn't realise the, um, the power of LinkedIn fully for a long time. Um, it can be a social media platform that, you know, is, it has its negatives like they all do, but generally it is, you know, business focused and it, all of, you know, the majority of, of tutors, practice owners and stuff, they're all on there sharing their opinions and stuff. And I think a lot of the more successful students that we see now are the ones that are active um, from, you know, from, from year one, yeah, essentially, and that aren't afraid to ask for help, you know, grabbing coffees with potential mentors early on, you know, year one, if you're struggling, you know, just reach out to a tutor and say, actually, you know, have you got any time for a coffee and stuff and, and go and sit down and just get that extra guidance and stuff. It, it's super important. So I love the network one. And I, and I think, you know, that is the one that flies under the radar because you're so busy getting yourself, you know, learning the language, you know, to use your analogy before, you know, get, getting up to speed with the language in the new country uh, on the course um, that sometimes you don't feel it's time to do it or whatever, but honestly, it is totally worth your while to invest that little bit of time. I, I would say though, because we have touched on this a few times, um, I would say though, Victoria, you actually probably, for me, gave the best example of how to network though. It's easy to say, do it, but how do you do it? And you said that about local events and in our area, there's the Liverpool Architecture Foundation and they do some brilliant events, don't mm -hmm. they? They do practice drop-ins, they do design charrettes where like, you know, they'll, the local practices will present maybe you know, in the Baltic and all that sort of stuff. That's how your network is at an early, at an early age in architecture. Mm -hmm. Go to those events and 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 sit in them and really engage in those mm. those forums. I think that's a great starting point. And then you build from there. Yeah, usually there's like kind of local society of architects, you know. So, you know, Birmingham where I'm based and live, um, there's the Birmingham Association of Architects. And they'll often kind of put on events. Or you can look through um RABA, you know, that your kind of local regional RABA. Um, but really as schools of architecture should be sharing um, news of these events um, or if you've got an architecture society we've got a really good enthusiastic um, DMU SOC architecture <laughs> the DMU Society of Architecture and they're brilliant and they kind of put on their own events um, but also spotlight um, local kind of events that students can get involved with um, and they're really good. And one of one of my third year students, she's got her own podcast. She actually talks about um, building up confidence to go to these networks, um, networking events. Because I think as a student, maybe you have a bit of imposter syndrome, like maybe I shouldn't be there or what if I don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody is feeling like that and just going along. And even if you just chat to one person, you know, you've made another contact that you can potentially, you know, loop, connect with later and... Um, yeah. Yeah, there's huge power in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, right, so I'm, I'm conscious we haven't got a lot of time, so I want to um, I want to just let everyone know about um, two of your passions, uh, Victoria. So uh, the BIMIN series and, and Architecture Plus are two absolutely amazing things that you've put together and that you run. Uh, we're actually going down to the MU for um, BIMIN series on the 8th. Really looking forward to it. Um, so do you want to just touch upon those two things? Uh, and um, obviously at the end of the pod, I'll make sure we link we link the events and uh, show people how to, how to have a look at them online and stuff. Yeah, thank you for letting me talk about BIMIN Series. So BIMIN Series is now a registered charity. So I'm very, very proud and excited to be able to announce that. Well done. Um, it started as a thank you. So it's it started as a kind of afternoon um, event essentially because there were conversations in like 2016, 2017 about how to teach BIM 
uh, in undergraduate and postgraduate. So building information modeling um, and a lot of uncertainty about where it's best place to teach it and uh, get awareness of it. And then also in practice, especially for small practices, how to go about getting into doing building information modeling. So I ran this afternoon kind of BIM camp, we called it at BCU. And it was hugely popular. And so um, I think we had like 200 guests. And uh, I've worked very closely with Vectorworks. So they agreed to kind of support the day with some talks on on BIM and, and software and other things. And I decided to run the event the following year, but as a formal conference. Um, I think from having run the first AAE conference in 2013, that gave me the skills and confidence to be able to do it again. Um, as I said, that was a sharp learning curve, that first day <laughs> conference. <laughs> so in 2018, I did BIM in Birmingham, which was the first ever um, kind of global international conference. And it went really well, had 250 guests, um, global speakers, speakers from some of the most famous practices in the country. So Foster and Partners came to that one, Heatherwick Studio, Zaha Hadid Architects, um, we had Grimshaws. And it was really, really popular, really popular with practitioners and really popular with students. Um, and so I carried it on. I carried on doing it every year for BCU. Um, Eve, I even I think the last one was 2020 and then I did one in 2022, had to miss a year because of COVID. And in that time that I took out between BCU and DMU, that two-month period, I decided I really wanted to... Um, use the conference as a platform to raise money for uh, students in architecture with financial hardship and um, for the betterment of architectural education. So activities that link in with pushing architectural education forwards. So I started the process of registering BIMIN series, which is the overarching group um, underneath which sits the conferences. So there was BIM in Birmingham previously, and now there's BIM in Leicester. So sponsorship um, raised through the BIM in Leicester conference will go towards the BIM in series charity. Um, and it's just essentially some uh, the ability, having the ability to build up a fund that's independent, that can be put to a good cause in architecture. So um, it's just starting. So it's just registered, registered in January, but the BIM in Leicester conference will be on the 8th of Feb. Um, and, and it's been wonderful. Spon uh, it's been sponsored by Foster and Partners. So they've um, been absolutely wonderful at giving speakers and financial support um, to the charity. And we've also got Associated Architects um, sponsoring and uh, a group called People-Led Digitization. Um, so they've all been incredibly generous, as well as Vectorworks, who have supported the event every single year, giving... Um, giving t-shirts and conference bags and lunches to, which are essentially the backbone of the conference. Um, but behind the scenes, so I'm doing the kind of main uh, networking. So I'm doing the kind of getting the speakers and the marketing, but behind the scenes of that is a whole team of students um, as there have been at the BIM in Birmingham conferences. So there's a group of 23 students at Leicester School of Architecture from undergraduate, postgrad, and... Um, all working on individual things. So anything from like the graphics and the posters to managing the cake stall, to helping with signage, to social media, to they're just involved with everything. Yeah. And so it's a really good learning exercise for students to A, get the experience I had in 2013, which is how do you organize a huge global conference? Um, and B, get those skills for the CVs. Um, and a lot of my students have got jobs off the back of these events because they go, they have designed their own business cards, which I will pay for them to be printed. <laughs> and they'll go and they'll network with practitioners and um, talk about their work. And they have ended up getting kind of either placements in the summer or full-time jobs off the back of the event. So it's a fantastic event. I really, I've never been to a conference like it. It's really friendly. Um, we have balloons, a big cake sale, uh, BIM cakes with little pencils and protractors, <laughs> which are brilliant. Um, but as I said, a whole range of speakers from very, very small practices of sort of five to six people to, you know, practices like Foster and Partners, um, Zaha Hadid Architects, Heatherwick Studios, the, the big, big practices. Yeah. And they always 
the wow, amazing kind of awe-inspiring projects. Um, so you get to see a whole range of um, kind of architectural projects and practices. And we've also got quite a few academics. So they're presenting on like up-to-date research in uh, building information modeling. So yes, yeah, so that is uh, Beerman series. And then Architecture Plus is a newer thing, um, which is uh, an initiative that I, I suppose it's got a kind of personal led um, approach because uh, I'm kind of obviously very passionate about EDI, um, yeah. equality, diversity and inclusion, but also my own kind of health I've suffered with Graves disease um, over the last few years so I've been very aware of how a kind of chronic health condition can impact um, work and so Architecture Plus is kind of looking to break down those barriers I suppose and yeah. spotlight success stories of people working within architecture that have challenges and those challenges can be anything from um, mental health condition or physical disability to being a single mum or being a female in architecture. And so it's a very, it's gonna be a very celebratory platform. We have our first event on the 6th of March, will be an open event at um, the Leicester School of Architecture with talks from a range of speakers who are gonna be sharing their career stories um, of success in architecture and kind of spotlighting some of the challenges they've experienced um, whilst working in education and um, in the profession. So um, I'm hopeful for that. I get. I think that goes along my active, my newly found activist <laughs> <laughs> theme that I've as I move into the next stage of my career journey. Um, no, it's quite inspirational. I think the Architecture Plus, and um, I'm really looking forward to see um, see how it progresses. If there's anything we can do to help, obviously on that first event in March, thank um, you. we're happy to do so. And uh, obviously, there's a call. I noticed you were doing a call for speakers. If you still need speakers, then obviously we. Um, we can promote that on yes. our socials and stuff. So the, and... Yeah, it's call for speakers as as well as call for stories. So some people want to speak, and in which case they'll be invited to speak on the 6th of March um, to mark International Women's Day as well. But also we're doing call for stories, which is from anybody. So anybody who feels like they've got a success story to share that can be showcased both on the website and our social media. And also there's going to be an exhibition in Birmingham, which will kind of physically showcase some of those stories um, of people in architecture and it's people it's not just women it's people in architecture who have had challenges um, and can share their career success story it's fantastic love it um, and so we, we are running out of time I'm getting um, some glances <laughs> from, from the podcast, podcast guys um, but we always run over don't worry every time we do one of these we always run okay. over Um I'm, I'm honestly, I think we could probably talk to you for a lot longer, but we're just conscious of time today. So maybe I'll have you on again in a couple of months after some of your workload calms down what? with a, running a uni, <laughs> running women's series, running um, Architecture Plus. Um, but just lastly, just yeah. wanted to touch really lightly on uh, the fact that, we, well, wanted to give thanks to you really for, um, we've just piloted um, using Academia for the first time alongside the university, which has always been our aim. And as Adam was saying earlier on the podcast, we're very much aligned with your own values of wanting to give students just the best experience they can possibly have and help anyway with that. Um, and, and, you know, the pilot with you guys is going to just help us to improve our platform no end. And we want to get it to a point where the unis love it as well. So we can we can obviously partner with you guys. So I just wanted to say first and foremost, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, we're going to come down on the 8th, get to meet, uh, you know, yourself and a, and a lot of the yeah. students and, um, and get talking to people and stuff. Um, and it's just really exciting time for us. So yeah, just wanted to give thanks. And yeah, do you guys want no, to No, add, no, no, just, just I'd have probably said the same, yeah. Just echo that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so honestly, Victoria, to thank you from the bottom of our hearts because we've been waiting for this opportunity for a while and to, oh. to finally get it in. It's really exciting for us. And, and yeah, we're, we're just here to help. Um, Absolutely. I will just say very quickly that your um, platform has inspired one of my first years who's also set up his own platform, sharing software tips. So that has just started to happen. And I do think that's off the back of um, me circulating news of Archemia. So it's really nice, actually. And he's kind of built his own website and 
I think it was just great. It came through at the weekend. So hopefully you might have a competitor. Tell him we'll buy him out. He can come work for us. <laughs> no, can, brilliant. And that, that's that's what it's all about. And we always said that when we started the practice and stuff, we, we one of the first things we wanted to try and give back in any way possible. And obviously when you run a business commercially, it's not always easy to do that financially by giving people jobs and stuff. It's not as simple as that. So we found a way to give back by just trying to help with in terms of platform and, and, and software tips. And, and things like that and so, mentoring as well something that's yeah. I think missed a little bit maybe we need to improve our messaging as well but there's a lot of lot of members I've probably had over 50 members now really we've, we've had video calls with and it, they range from first year students all the way to practice owners remember me and you had a sit down with John who's just started his own practice and me and Jack talked him through the steps to um, when he was appraising a new project so we were talking about some of the risks on a site, you know, utilities, all that sort of stuff. And, and he's just set up on his own. He said, this is so nice to feel like I'm actually, I've got, I've got partners. It, it feels like I've got got that support as well. And, and, and we've offered that support all the way down. And although we do charge for it, you know, because that obviously helps us resource the thing, there is there is that real, um, you know, we, we do really want, you know, want to help people and, 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 and give them that much, much nicer experience throughout. And hopefully the end goal is it actually lifts the entire profession. Because if everyone's a bit more happy about it and, and, and everyone's sort of singing off the same hymn sheet, hopefully, you know, fees will return to where they need to be. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and as you say, working hours and that culture and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's great to be, you know, yeah. shoulder to shoulder with you. The more people we've got championing that stuff, the better. So That's it. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great to join forces. Um so yeah, that that brings us to, to the end. Um, thanks so much, Victoria, for joining us today. It's amazing to get some of your insights um, and and hear, hear like what your day to day entails entails and how you got there. So thanks for sharing all that with us. And um, we'll catch you soon down in Leicester. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, come for a visit. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for watching. We will tag all of the events and platforms discussed today below the video. Please check them out, and we'll see you next time.